chapter 6 and children, you are dismissed to junior church. And we are in Mark chapter 6. And aren't you thankful this morning for the love of God? Thankful for his love and uh, thankful for the sacrifice of Christ uh, that God sent down uh, for our sins. Praise God for that. It's wonderful. And uh, we're, we're in Mark chapter 6. And just kind of by way of recap, uh, not last week, but the week before that, uh, we saw how Christ sent out his 12 disciples uh, to preach. And, and yes, he, he sent them out to have power over unclean spirits uh, and, and power over sickness. But the primary reason that he sent them out was to preach the gospel. Now, yes, Christ wanted to help heal people physically. He wanted to make them whole physically. But the most important thing that he was concerned about was making sure people had spiritual healing. He wanted to make sure that people could be reconciled unto God. And we know that, uh, that uh, Christ said, do not take anything with you uh, except for just the essentials. Don't, don't take food. Do not take money because I'm going to take care of you. Remember? And he, he said that to them and he, of course, would do that. And they went out and they, uh, they did testify of Christ in the Jewish cities. And they had a successful, uh, a successful trip. Uh, the gospel prevailed, as it often does. But uh, let's go ahead and look at verse 14 of Mark chapter 6. The Bible says, And King Herod heard of him, for his name was spread abroad. And he said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead. And therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. Others said that it is Elias. And others said that it is a prophet. Or as one of the prophets. But when Herod heard thereof, he said, It is John, whom I beheaded. He is risen from the dead. For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. For he had married her. For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Therefore Herodias had a quarrel against him, and would have killed him, but she could not. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you once again for this opportunity that we have to come to your house and to worship you and to hear from your word. I pray, Lord, that uh, during this sermon that you would have the preeminence, Lord. I pray that, that Christ would be glorified and magnified in what's said. And I pray, Lord, that your truth would prevail. I pray that you'll just help myself, that I would just say exactly what you want me to say, and that everything I would say it would be pleasing to you. I pray that you will be with those that are listening, Lord, that you will just work uh, in the people's hearts as they hear this, and uh, that we will just be Christians that love the truth of God and that stand by the truth of God no matter what other people are doing. I pray that you'll just uh, give us the help and the strength that we need to be bold in this evil day. And we love you, God, and we thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, your Son, uh, as he paid the penalty for our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, when I was reading this this passage, I kind of thought about that term that you probably have heard of before, and that is cancel culture. That's a very, a very common uh, term that you've, again, you probably have heard of uh, in our day. Uh, that term simply is a term that refers to a culture in which those who are deemed to have acted or spoken in an unacceptable manner are boycotted or are shunned. And listen, this is very prevalent today. Uh, especially with Christians that, that, that believe on the word of God, because a lot of times the truth of God is absolutely deemed as unacceptable to society. Now, uh, I, I read recently about how in 2014 there was a twin brothers named David and Jason Benham 
They were five weeks into filming their reality TV show on HGTV, and they, they, the show ended up getting pulled because a watchdog website said that the brothers had spoken out in favor of traditional marriage, and their father was a pro-life activist. There was a social media campaign that was pressuring HGTV back then to cancel the show, and it did work. They ended up canceling it, but the brothers, they refused to give in to the pressures, and this is how they responded. They said, if our faith costs us a television show, then so be it. So be it. And they stood by the truth of God. Now here's the thing, that that term, cancel culture, it's relatively new. But church, the concept is not new at all. We see cancel culture uh, was alive and well in the days of Jesus Christ. As John the Baptist, he was thrown into prison for preaching the truth of God. So this morning, I want you to just think about this. Whether you are aware of it or not, every single one of us here, if you're saved, you face the pressures every day to conform to the ideas of the world over the truth of God. But the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning, and often, is, is this. How will you and I, as God's people, respond when we are faced with opposition to the truth of God? Look, in, in a world that's ever increasing in their hatred of God, that's ever increasing in their rebellion against God, how will you and I as God's people handle it? I mean, think about that. Will you cater to them? Will you cave into the pressures of sinful men? Or will you say, I will be obedient to God, and if it costs me my reputation with other people, if it costs me to uh, make it so that I have uh, a lower view in people's mind, then so be it, because I want to please God. Will that be your story? Now listen, we don't really experience a lot of persecution per se in Holton, right? And we got it pretty good up here. But listen, it's creeping in. It's going to be harder and harder and harder to be a real Christian very soon. Real persecution is on the way. And while right now we just kind of, the only thing that we, we may have to worry about is like a, a comment that may be derogatory or a sideways look, worse things are coming. And I think over the last few years, I think that we've seen that that is the case. But in John the Baptist, we find a man of God, we find a man of truth, we find a man of courage that pushed on in the face of fear. We find a man that was unconcerned with political correctness, but consumed with the truth of God. We find a man that was uninterested with pleasing men, but with full intentions of pleasing God. We find a man in John the Baptist that was willing to stand and speak the truth of God, no matter what it costs him, even if that meant his life. And church, we need more men and women like this. And this is just such a great challenge for all of us, including myself. We need this church to be full of God-fearing people that will stand firm on the truth of God regardless of what anybody else around them is doing. So it's my prayer this morning that the truths that we find in God's Word will uh, strengthen each of us and, and give us uh, more courage and give us knowledge that we need to stand boldly for Christ in these dark days. And I think it's safe to say that we are living in a dark day. But let's go ahead and look. Uh, we'll dig into our text here. The first point we see is the concern of Herod. Look at verse 14. We see the concern of Herod. It says, And King Herod heard of him, meaning Jesus, for his name was spread abroad, 
And he said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. Others said that it is Elias, and others said that it is a prophet, or as one of the prophets. But when Herod heard, therefore, he said, It is John, whom I beheaded, he is risen from the dead. So we know, again, as Jesus and his disciples, as they went about ministering to people, uh, Herod, uh, who was a tetrarch, he heard about Jesus. And the, the, the news of Jesus, it greatly troubled Herod. He thought, okay, this is John the Baptist. This is John the Baptizer. And uh, there was a lot of confusion in, in this passage about who Jesus was. Well, uh, some people thought, well, maybe he's Elijah. Uh, or maybe he's one of the Old Testament prophets. He's come back. Uh, and, and in this we know that many of the Jews, they were willing to put Jesus Christ on par with great men and with uh, some great prophets, but they were not willing to put him uh, in the place that he belonged, which was God. He was God. And isn't that like many people in our society today? Well, they'll say, yeah, you know, Jesus, he was a great man. He was a good teacher. But I don't know that he was God. Well, listen, the word of God says he was God. So listen, he was God. Because the Bible says he was. God says so. Uh, but this Herod that we're told about in chapter 6, he was just like all the other Herods. And what I mean by that is that he was just a thoroughly evil man. And listen, he was so evil that the Pharisees in Jesus' day even used him to threaten Jesus. Let's go to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. Now, we know that our Lord was a very kind and merciful and meek person. You know, I mean, he was God, obviously, as I mentioned. But he, he, he was one that would speak the truth. He wasn't afraid to tell people like it is. And let's look at Luke chapter 30, uh, 13. Look at verse 31. It says, The same day there came certain of the Pharisees, saying unto him, Get thee out, and depart hence, for Herod will kill thee. And he said unto them, Go ye, and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out devils, and I do curse uh, cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. So the Pharisees, they demanded that Jesus depart from their villages, and said, Look, if you don't, Herod's going to kill you. And Jesus says, Hey, you go ahead and you go tell that fox what I'm doing. And uh, Jesus says that on that third day, he's going to be perfected. And he was clearly pointing to his death and burial and resurrection that was to come. As if to say to the Pharisees, you go, go ahead. You tell that fox what I'm doing. I'm healing people. I'm casting out demons. You go ahead and tell him and let him kill me. Because I'm going to rise again the third day. So look, Jesus, he was bold. And he told them how it was and like it is. And in that, that statement of, of calling Herod a fox, he was simply saying, listen, Herod, he's a sly and crafty, yet a very cowardly man. And we'll see that, of course. But Herod, he was desperately wicked, as acknowledged by our Lord. And despite his wicked heart, though, just consider this, the thought of John the Baptist, it, he really greatly troubled him. Let's go back to Mark chapter 6 and see that. Look at verse 16 again. Verse 16 again. I want to just kind of point out some of the words and the language that Herod used in verse 16. It says, But when Herod heard thereof, he said, It is John, whom I beheaded. He is risen from the dead. Now this, uh, this uh, the, the language here of, of, of this verse here, uh, tells us, that he said that, uh, of Jesus, that it is John. Now this 
This phrase here, it's made in the imperfect tense, which means that he kept on saying this over and over again. So just imagine Herod saying, it is John. It is John. It is John. Like, so he was wound up about this. He was worked up about this. Uh, the killing of John, it, it really ate him up. And he said, it is John whom I beheaded. That I is emphatic. So you just imagine, this is a very dramatic scene. As Herod, he, he thinks that Jesus Christ was John risen from the dead. It's as if an imaginary ghost was uh, haunting him. That, and he thought it was John the Baptist, and he just could not get away from him. And he knew that the killing of John the Baptist was unjust. It could be that maybe uh, Herod had nightmares about John. Maybe in times of silence, he just could not get John out of his head. Uh, maybe his past conversations that he had with John just constantly lingered in his mind, and he just felt guilty for doing what he did to him. And you may say, well, what, what did exactly he do to him? Well, as Mark finishes telling us of Herod's fear, he then hits rewind and he brings us back to the story of John's execution and tells us exactly what happened. So secondly, we see the courage of John. Look at verse 17. We start here as we see the courage of John. This is what happened. It says, For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison, in, in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother's uh, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Okay, so let's just stop right there. Originally, Herod had John arrested. He had John put into prison. Why? Because John spoke against his sinful lifestyle, and his wife, Herodias, was not happy about it. Uh, John is put into prison, it tells us, for Herodias' sake. Now listen, Herodias was not just Herod's wife. As the scripture tells us, she was Herod's brother's wife. So Herod and Herodias, they divorced their spouses for each other. John, he went right to Herod and he condemned them for this wickedness. Look at verse 18. It says, For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. So just think about this, okay? John the Baptist, despite knowing that Herod obtained the power... To kill John with a single word, he boldly went to Herod and he rebuked Herod for what he had done because this was an affront to God. Now again, the tense of this word uh, that John had said to Herod it implies repeated rebuke. So John did not just go to Herod one time. He went to him repeatedly and said, listen, what you are doing is wrong. Your marriage to Herodias is wrong. It goes directly against the word of God. Now let's go and look at that. Look at Leviticus chapter 18. No doubt the text that John would have preached from as he went to Herod. Look at Leviticus 18. We'll look at a couple places here in Leviticus. Look at chapter 18, verse 16. The Bible says here in the Mosaic Law, says, Thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of thy brother's wife. It is thy brother's nakedness. And then look at chapter 20, verse 21. It says in chapter 20, verse 21, And if a man shall take his brother's wife, it is an unclean thing. He hath uncovered his brother's nakedness. They shall be childless. So God was not okay with this. And as John publicly rebuked Herod for this, it's very likely that Herod, uh, or it's very likely that John told Herod, listen, you are committing an unclean act. Uh, you are sinning against the Almighty God. You are rebelling against the God of heaven. 
And so John, he was not ashamed to proclaim the truth of God in the face of those that were being disobedient to it. He stood strong against this wicked alliance with Herod and Herodias. And he boldly preached the word of God. And listen, as he did that, he upset the apple cart. And listen, just as it often does, right? When the word of God is preached, it makes people unhappy, doesn't it? Not everybody's thrilled to, be, to hear the word of God. The, the truth of God, it caused great anger and great resentment in the heart of Herod's unlawful wife. And Herod's uh, wife, Herodias, she was indeed like a New Testament Jezebel because she hated the truth of God and she looked to kill anybody that interfered with her sin. Let's go and look at that in verse 19. Go back to Mark chapter 6 and look at verse 19. And this is really the, the focal point here. Look at verse 19. It says, Therefore Herodias had a quarrel against him and would have killed him, but she could not. So because John spoke against her sin, we're told that Herodias had a quarrel against him. And this means that she set herself against him. She was enraged against him. Uh, she, she would not let up on the fury that she had towards John for daring to denounce her relationship with Herod. So she wanted to kill him. So in essence, listen church, I want you to catch this, what's going on here, okay? In essence, you could say that Herodias wanted John to just stay out of her private business, right? You could say that, that, John, that, that Herodias just wanted John to just let her and Herod be. You could say that Herodias just wanted John to let her live in sin without rebuke. You could say that Herodias did not want John to concern himself with what she was doing. You could say that uh, Herodias wanted John to just let her love whoever she wanted to. This is what was happening. She wanted John to just let her do whatever she wanted to do and not tell her what God says she must do. And listen, church, Herodias is absolutely on the, or was absolutely on the same page as many people that live in rebellion against God today. Herodias would absolutely be leading the charge in the fight against the truth of God even in our day. And listen, there's a lot of people that are fighting against the truth of God in our day. Listen, Herodias, she would absolutely be at the very front of the pride parades in June. She would be the one that would be beating the drum of poor abortion laws that are trying to get passed in our country. She would no doubt be an advocate for women that desire to get away from their unique design that God had given them and try to push them to be more masculine. This is what she would be. She would be what she was then, a great adversary against the truth of God. But John, he did not care what power she possessed. He did not care what power Herod possessed. He decided, I'm going to courageously stand for the truth of God because he was a man that feared God more than he feared men. He knew, just like Peter, that he ought to obey God rather than man. Because he knew one day, I'm going to stand before God. I'm not going to stand before men. And no doubt, you may say, well, how could John be such a, a man of courage? And that, that's something to consider this morning. How can we be people of courage? Well, listen, church, John, he no doubt feared God. And he no doubt had great courage because he was a man of prayer. Let's go to John, or rather Luke, chapter 11. 
Go to Luke chapter 11. This is maybe kind of an overlooked passage of Scripture, this verse that we're going to read, because a lot of times we focus on the Lord's Prayer, but look what Luke chapter 11 verse 1 says. It says, And it came to pass that as he, meaning Jesus, was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Hey, listen, John the Baptist, he was a man of prayer. He, he, he was a, a, a man that knew the importance of prayer so much that he made sure that he taught his disciples how to pray. And the fact of the matter is, if we ever hope to stand strong for God against wicked people like John did, we need to fear God and be people of great prayer. And just think about this. I, I like what Stephen Lawson said about this. He said, the one who kneels before God can stand before men. The fear of God always displaces the fear of men. Dio Moody said that he who kneels the most stands the best. And listen, in the Old Testament even, we find men of prayer that were men of courage as they withstood incredible opposition. And, and there's a really numerous people that you could point to, but I want to look at a couple uh, that you may know very well. First, let's look at Daniel. Go to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel... He was faced with opposition when it came to his worship of God. Look at Daniel chapter 6, verse 5. And I want you to just notice the testimony that Daniel had before men. And look what they said in Daniel 6, verse 5. It says, Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. And then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. And all the presidents and the kingdoms, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. So let's stop right there. Daniel he was such a man of integrity and of, great, of a great testimony that they said, listen, we are not going to be able to find any fault with this man. So we need to find something concerning his relationship with God. So they decided to propose to the king, uh, hey, listen, how about for 30 days you make it so that if anybody prays to anybody but you and they ask of anything but of you, that they get cast into a den of lions. Look at verse 8. Now, O king, establish a decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of Medes and the Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Now look at verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, see that? He knew the writing was signed. What did he do? Did he just go to bed and not pray? Did he decide to cave into what they had said to do? No. It says when he knew the writing was signed, he went into his house. And his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Look what it says, as he did aforetime. <laughs> he just kept doing what he was always doing before. And Daniel, he did not allow the threat on his life to stop him from being obedient to God. Man, what a great testimony that is. And what about Nehemiah? Let's go there. Go, go to Nehemiah chapter 4. I love the book of Nehemiah. You know, Nehemiah, he faced opposition when he was rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem, which, by the way, this was a, a 
a task that God had put on his hearts. And Nehemiah was a man of prayer as well. We know that when he found out that the walls of Jerusalem were broken down and the gates were burned down with fire, what did he do? He wept and he prayed and he fasted for certain days. And look at what it says in verse 6 of Nehemiah chapter 4. It says, actually, uh, yeah, look at, well, let's look at verse 4. It says, Hear, o, God, o our God, for we are despised and turn their approach upon their own head and give them for a prey in the land of captivity and cover not their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. And look what it says, So we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. So let's just stop right there. He prayed when opposition came. Uh, and I didn't read verse 3, but people were mocking him. Tobiah and the Ammonites, they were mocking uh, him and saying, listen, if a fox goes up on that wall, it's just going to fall down. You might as well just forget about it. And what did he do? He prayed and they continued to build the wall. And look what it says in verse 7. It says, but it came to pass that when Samballot and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the wall of Jerusalem were made up, and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very much wroth, and conspired all of them together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. So they said, we got to go over there. we got to try to hinder this work. We've got to stop these people. But look what it says in verse 9. It says, Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. So what they do, they said, hey, listen, opposition's coming. These people don't want the wall built, but guess, nevertheless, we're going to pray. Nevertheless, we're going to work. Nevertheless, we're going to continue to do what God has called us to do. And you know what? The majority of people, if they were faced with such great opposition as Daniel or Nehemiah or John the Baptist, they would often cower away at the first sign of trouble. They would often give up on everything. For most, they would never get to the point of being thrown into prison prison, or, or being threatened to be killed or being ganged up on by wicked people. A lot of times, it just it's a, a, a sly comment or a harsh word is often enough to make us cower away in fear. But listen, church, not these men. Not these men that loved and feared God. Not these men that knelt and prayed before the Lord uh, and uh, as He enabled them to stand strong in the face of evil men. And listen, I know that, and I can be like this myself at times, there are many, I'm afraid, in our presence that often cave to the pressures of society, even if it's in small ways. Maybe you cringe when you hear the truth of God that may be deemed as offensive in our society. Maybe you kind of beat around the bush when a lost co-worker asks you about your opinion about a social issue that God does speak to. Maybe you fear what man might think or say about your biblical worldview. Maybe you cater to the sins of wicked men, or maybe you seek to just kind of quietly stand in the corner and not offend anybody, not say anything about the truth of God. And the reason for that is because you do not fear God as you should. Listen, the reason for that is because you do not pray as you ought to pray. You spend too much time in the presence of evil men being filled with ungodly ideas and not enough time in the presence of God and His Word. The reason is because we are often too concerned about pleasing fallible man instead of pleasing an infallible God. Look, we need to be men and women of courage, but in order to do that, we have to be humble and broken and desperate men and women of prayer because we cannot do this on our own. You and I, we cannot have the courage to stand 
boldly for the truth of God without being people of prayer, without being humble, without being spirit-filled. Andrew Murray said, Just as water ever seeks and fills the lowest place, so the moment God finds you abased and empty, His glory and power flow in. Listen, it is uh, through the humble act of prayer that the power of God and His boldness can flow into us as His children. It is through prayer that we learn to fear God more. It is through prayer that we are given the boldness of the Holy Spirit. It is through prayer that we learn to rely on God and not on ourselves. It is prayer that moves the people of God to fight for truth when the enemy seeks to silence it. Listen, prayer emboldens the Christian. And truly... They that kneel before God can indeed stand before even the most wicked of men, such as Herod. Now listen, the the boldness and courage of John, the boldness of the Old Testament saints and the apostles, I want you to know that it is available to us today. It is available to us. You know, as Christians, we have a very rich heritage of godly men that have stood for the truth of God in the face of evil people, even outside of the Bible, which helps speak to this truth. I think of William Tyndale. Maybe you know who he is. Uh, He translated the Bible in the English language and he refused to give up his work despite the threats uh, from the King of England that was seeking to kill him. In 1536, William Tyndale would be strangled at the stake and then he would be burned. And his final words before his death was this, O Lord, open the King of England's eyes. Man, what courage! What great forgiveness that he would say such a thing. I think of John Rogers who forsook Roman Catholicism and he preached salvation by grace through faith. In 1553, he preached an anti-Catholic sermon that warned against pestilent popery, idolatry, and superstition. And when he preached that, he was immediately placed under house arrest. In January of uh, 1554, he was sent to Newgate, where he would be imprisoned for a year. And in January of 1555, he was sentenced to death by burning. Men of courage. Men of God. Men that feared God. Men of prayer. And I also think of Obadiah Holmes, who was a preacher of the gospel of Christ. In 1691, he was whipped 30 times for his biblical beliefs. And listen, instead of retracting the truth of God and caving into the public pressures to denounce it, he continued to preach while he was being whipped. And then, at the end, he savagely said to his his persecutors, he said, you have struck me with roses. Men of courage. Men of prayer. Men of God. Look, that's available to us. We can be people of courage. As unfortunately, in our day, many modern examples of people that have caved to the desires and opinions of men while forsaking the truth of God. And I'll give you one. There was an exchange several years ago, might have been close to 20 now, between Larry King and a very well-known pastor from out west. And I just want to read to you what the exchange here, and this was on national television. Larry King Live said, or Larry King on Larry King Live said, we've had ministers on here who said, your record don't count. You either believe in Christ or you don't. And if you believe in Christ, you're going to heaven. And if you don't, no matter what you've done in your life, you ain't. And then one of the biggest so-called Christian leaders in America, this is how he responded. And listen to this. He said, yeah, I don't know. 
There's probably a balance. I believe you have to know Christ, but I think that if you know Christ, if you're a believer in God, you're going to have some kind of good works. And he didn't really answer the question, of course. So then Larry King, he said this, well, what if you're Jewish or what if you're a Muslim and you don't accept Christ at all? Then what? And then this pastor said, well, you know, I'm very careful about saying who would and wouldn't go to heaven. I don't know. Larry King said, well, if you don't, 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 he said, if you believe, then you have to believe on Christ. Then they're wrong, aren't they? Meaning the, the, the Jewish people and the Muslims, they're wrong, right? And then this person, this pastor, he said, well, I don't know if I believe that they're wrong. I believe what the Bible teaches. No, he doesn't. But I just think that only God will judge a person's heart. I spend a lot of, I've spent a lot of time in India with my father. I don't know all about their religion, but I know they love God. And let me just stop right there and say, no, they don't. They hate God. They despise God. And then he said, I don't know. I've seen their sincerity. And then he, to, to finish it off, he just simply said, so I don't know. So listen, on national television, he had the opportunity to say to Larry, Christ is the only way to receive salvation and nothing else. And yet, he shied away as to not offend the masses. I want you to know this morning, the gospel is offensive. And I also want to very clearly inform you today, I do know. I know that it is Christ, that he is the only way to salvation. I know because of what the word of God tells us, that it is only through the trusting in Jesus Christ that we can have reconciliation and forgiveness from our sin. And I know that if you trust in any work and you trust in any other way, then you are not going to heaven and you are not going to be reconciled to God because Christ is the only way. I do know. And if you're saved, you ought to know as well. You do know. Listen, we need more believers that know the truth of God. And that not only know the truth of God, they elevate it above all the other thoughts and the ways and the opinions of men, regardless of its offensive nature. So this morning, I want to ask you this question. Where are the believers in Christ that are willing to stand for the truth of God in the face of great opposition? Where are the men of God and the, and the women of God like John the Baptist or the believers that are like Paul and Nehemiah and Daniel and William Tyndale and John Rogers and Obadiah Holmes? Where are the believers that stand firm on God's truth? Where are the believers that value the word of God over the opinions of men? Are there any among us this morning? Are there any among us today that refuse to cave into the pressures of society and hold firm to the word of God? Are there any in our midst that are unconcerned about pleasing people and consumed with pleasing God? We need believers that know and stand on the truth of God rather than cower when faced with the pressure to condone sin from sinners. And listen, John the Baptist, Herodias, she did not like his preaching. But guess what? John did not care because it was the truth of God. We need believers in our day that stand for the truth of the gospel despite who it may offend. We need men and women that do not look to society for the ever-changing opinions of men when it comes to their beliefs, but rather look to the word of God. We need believers 
that stand for God's design for the family, that stand by God's view of marriage, that stand for righteousness, that stand for holiness, that stand for the lives of the unborn, that stands for God no matter what others may say, because the truth of God always transcends the opinions and the thoughts of man. We need to be people that will say that truth is not relative. There is no such thing as your truth and my truth and their truth. No, there's one truth, and that is the truth of God. Let's go to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. And look at verse 151. Psalm 119, verse 151. The Bible says in Psalm 119, 151, Thou art near, O Lord, and look what it says, and all thy commandments are truth. They are truth. We know that Jesus in his prayer To God, he said of his disciples, sanctify them with thy truth. Thy word is truth. Church, we need to be men and women that daily get on our knees and ask God for the boldness to proclaim the truth of the gospel to a world that hates it. We need to be people that know that the word of God is true and we just settle in our heart that we are going to stand on it. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, it talks about how there's going to be a time, and I'll just read it real quick for you. And it says that there that we need to preach a word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And by the way, when you do that, there will be times where it does hurt. It will hurt because you see what you need to do. You see that uh, where you need to repent, uh, and it will hurt. But it is necessary. And look what it says in verse three. Just listen. It says, "For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts." shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall be uh, turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Listen, church, that time is now. People, they want fables. They want feel-good TED Talks. They want sermons that uh, don't really uh, have any Bible in them. They want stories and opinions and ideas. No, we need the Word of God. And as I said already, for the most part in Holton, Maine, We don't experience a lot of persecution, but real persecution is coming. If you pay attention to the news at all, you know that godless agendas are being pushed all over our nation, and very soon it's going to be everywhere. So the question that you and I need to settle in our hearts right now, this morning, at this very moment, at this very hour, is this. Will I obey God or will I obey man? You need to settle in your heart this question. Will I bow to the will of the holy God of heaven or will I bow to his creation that rebels against him? Will I stand firm on the word of God knowing it is settled and true or will I stand on the shaky ground of man's opinion? Now you know Daniel, we mentioned him. The Bible tells us that he purposed in his heart that he was going to obey God. That's what we need to do this morning. We need to purpose in our hearts right now that we will obey God. We need to purpose in our hearts today that we will stand firm on God's word, even though it's going to become increasingly more difficult as time goes on. I've heard it said many times when it comes to social issues that people say, you know, I just want to be on the right side of history. I want to be on the right side of history. I don't want people to look back and see that I was wrong about my views. Uh, But listen, if you want to be on the right side of history, then you just stay on God's side. Just stay on God's side. Do what he says. Because in the end, God will prevail. In the end, He will win. In the end, He will reign forever. Revelation 11.15 tells us that of of Jesus Christ, says He shall reign forever and ever. 
You know how long that is? Forever and ever and ever. He's going to reign. He is going to win in the end. So stay with God. And when the enemies of God oppose us, as they surely will, we need to respond with prayer and a focus on the Lord. We need to beg God to give us courage and boldness regardless of the cost. John was a man of courage. And we're going to see that he was so courageous that he stood for the truth of God even though it would end up costing him his life. But consider this morning, what about us? Are we purposing in our heart that we will stand for the truth of God no matter how offensive, no matter uh, what people may think? Are we standing on the truth of God that's found in His Word? Hey, listen. God has to be the one that tells us how to live and what to do. He is the one that sets a standard of morality. Not the government. Not other people. It is God. He is the only one that has a right to do such a thing. So will you purpose in your heart this morning to stand for the truth of God even in the face of great opposition? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.